Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the New Books in Japanese Studies, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm Takeshi Morisato. Today, I'll be talking to Dr. Linda Ehrlich, who is the author of The Films of Koreeda Hirokazu, Elemental Cinema, a book that was just published in the East Asian Popular Culture Series in 2019 by Palgrave Macmillan. Hello, Linda. Hello. It's nice to be here. Thank you so much for joining us, and we are so excited to talk to you about your new book on Kore the Films. Um, I'm actually a huge fan of his works, and have been using some of them for my Japanese philosophy courses, for instance. Um, but before getting into it, um, and, and and also you know ask you about this, uh, your reflections on these amazing pieces of art, I'd like to start with the question about who you are. Uh, could you introduce yourself by telling us about your career? research, and how you are involved with this field of Japanese studies and film studies? Well, Japanese studies happened almost by chance, to be mm-hmm. honest. I was, I had studied Spanish all my life, and I was chosen as a high school junior to be oh. an American field service foreign student to Japan, and I was sent to Shikoku, to a small town in Shikoku, where there were no other foreigners Wow. Um, quite an immersion experience. And then mm-hmm. I went back in college. I studied a year and a half at Waseda University. I lived a couple years in Kyoto. Mm-hmm. And although I've done other things, and I do some things with Spanish cinema as well, I keep mm-hmm. coming back to Japan. And everywhere I travel, I meet people who are involved with Japan, mm-hmm. Japanese cinema. Um, so it's just a part of me. And mm. I'm kind of reconciled to it now, and I always get excited when I can teach Japanese subjects. Now, mm-hmm. all of my books are not about Japan, but this one certainly is. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the town in Shikoku that you visited? I, I lived in Sakaideshi. Sakaideshi, uh, wow. I don't know. where I, I've been to Shikoku for the study of pilgrimage, but the I don't, I don't know the name of this town. So, wow. So, you have complete immersion into Shikoku culture. Uh, fantastic. Um, so I would like to ask this. Uh, um, I have a list of questions that I'd like to uh, ask you. But first, I'd like to ask how this uh, book came to be. So from your you know, work in film studies and you know, your life work with Japan, how this book on Koreda came to be? Or what was your motivation behind this book? Well, I wish I could say that I had planned this out in a very detailed way, but I can't. I wrote the review for Darimo Shiranai, for Nobody Knows, for Film Quarterly. Okay. And then I wrote some other articles on Corriere. I contributed to the 2011 film criticism double issue on him. And actually, I was able to give him that That. Mm issue that journal when I interviewed him for the second time in Japan. And then I was also asked to do the commentary on the remastered 
DVD and Blu-ray of Mabaroshi no Hikari, mm-hmm. which was done by Milestone Film and Video. So I, would, I have, was doing all these odds and ends of um, articles and, mm-hmm. and events about Koreeda. My, my essay for film criticism looked at Koreeda's ocean views, his views of water, Mm-hmm. And after writing that, I realized, and after seeing the third murder, that I had to bring fire into my discussion. So mm-hmm. I did. And that was for um, Framework, uh, another film journal. Mm-hmm. And after that, I thought, well, you know, there's air doll. So I really have to bring air into my mm-hmm. discussion. And so as I'm saying this, I think you get an idea that it wasn't that I sat down and said, oh, I'm going to write a book about different elements and Coriato's mm-hmm. films. It just kept going like that. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I had a period in my life where I didn't have a lot of obligations. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I thought, you know, I'm just going to write a book about Coriata. And I thought I had a press. It turns out that that press, when I finished, wasn't really interested in the book. They found mm. it too lyrical. Yeah. And I you know, had some moments of panic then. And then Palgrave, Macmillan, picked it up and it was great working with them. So I'm, I'm really grateful to them mm-hmm. for that. Yeah. The, the, the book starts with the picture of you giving the precise volume to Koreeda and uh, also publisher did an amazing job uh, inserting the, uh, f- uh, what is the cut from the films? So scenes. Well, um, I, I do want to mention that because mm-hmm. I was very pleased by the short tribute that a colleague from Miami put about mm-hmm. the pictures. I did all of those pictures. Mm. They are, they're all frame grabs, and I did them right. in a media lab in a public library. Mm-hmm. And I love working with images. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, it does yeah. add this sort of explanation to the argument you're making or the points you're making, and you actually get to see that screen uh, throughout the book. Yes. <laughs> Well, when the book was first printed by Palgrave, the images were all all in black and white, mm-hmm. and it looked terrible. The images yeah. were just way too muddy. And I think it's a miracle, but they were willing to reprint the whole book with mm-hmm. color images at the same price. Now, the book is not cheap, unfortunately, but right. still, they didn't, they didn't up the price for the color images. And although there are a few I wish were a little bit better, I'm awfully mm-hmm. happy with the images and my writing interacts with the images so mm-hmm. when anyone you know thinks of reprinting this or whatever i always say you've got to have the images in it it's not mm-hmm. just the text it's it's an interaction it's a dialogue between mm-hmm. image and word in in my book yeah it's definitely reminds you of the film that you actually watch for the Koreeda and your your sort of engagement with his works flow with this text and image throughout the book. Um, well, thank you. And also, yeah. I wanted images that, as I say, were not the usual suspects. So although mm-hmm. I included a few that were from Milestone or others that, you know, we've seen quite a bit, but I tried to find moments that were a bit more surprising. And so mm-hmm. that viewers who've seen the films would say, oh, yes, you know, I never paid attention to that. And mm. that was yeah. the goal for those images. Yeah, it's definitely not the jacket covers or the um, sort of ostensive, you know, the representative part of the film, but it's just the sort of the passing images. Yeah. Um, Also, I noticed that your book refers to many um, secondary sources, including articles and blog posts on Korea films. And I also noticed that you um, refer to 
many different languages. So not only usually, you know, Japanese studies book tend to focus on Japanese and English when it's done in English. Uh, but your book talks about Spanish and French and Portuguese and Italian um, receptions uh, of quality the films. Can you tell us more about this sort of where you find these articles and um, how you made how did you make the selection as well as did you notice the differences among these um, different scenes you know European cultural scenes that their reception of Koreda. Well, I was working in a fairly solitary way for a year, Mm -hmm. and I had to rely on the languages I could handle. I mean, I can't read Chinese, for example, and I don't know German well at all. Mm -hmm. So I stuck to the languages I know that I can read and understand well, Mm -hmm. and those were the ones (laughs) that are in there. Uh, Portuguese Mm -hmm. is in there, too, a little bit. And, you know, I just kept searching. I mean, every day I just kept searching for sources and writing. Uh, fortunately, there's quite a bit from England. British Film Institute has done good work. Okay. Now, I'm well connected with Spanish film scholars who work in Japanese studies, so that was helpful to me. Mm-hmm. As I went back and looked at the book again this last week, I realized I, I didn't cite very much from French. I know I consulted them, but I'm afraid mm-hmm. French is not the presence that it should be in in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, and also very important to mention is that the first non-Japanese book about Corrieda is Italian. Mm-hmm. And it's by a writer, uh, Claudia Bertolo. I've never mm-hmm. met her. It's from 2013. Okay. She does discuss every film up to that point in detail. And she has a, a very evocative introductory section to her book where she talks about like silent protagonists and, you know, just Mm -hmm. rather abstract before she goes into a film-by-film analysis. So a a colleague from here actually brought me that book from Italy. It was hard to get. Uh, Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of amazed that my book is now the second. I I would expect a lot more. I know there's Mm -hmm. one more coming out, but, uh, yeah, I just, I think that he hasn't been written about as much as he deserves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's uh, one of the best film director, uh, re- directors that are alive uh, in, in Japan. Um, and I always, you know, ask, I'm always asked um, by my friends that I like Kur- um, Kurosawa movies and I like Oz movies. Would you recommend anything from Japanese films that I don't know? Then I usually recommend uh, Koreda. Um, but the let, let's... I would like to ask you about this sort of cultural elements in Koreda films. Uh, it's, you know, the typical Koreda movies that are um, really well received among my European friends are usually like like father, like son, or um, shoplifters in a recent, um, you know, film. They are sort of like signature movie that people tend to say, oh, Koreda is great because I watched this movie and that. But then I, when I think about other films like Kiseki and Our Little Sister, um, the cultural elements might be, uh, you know, including Still Walking, the cultural element is so specific in some way that might be very difficult for um, European audience to uh, understand because, you know, they don't speak Japanese. Um, would you agree with that? Or do you have a different way to um, assess the sort of the cultural elements of Koreda films? Well, I definitely agree with it in terms of Our Little, little Sister. 
Mm-hmm. And I was looking at my chapter on that film, and I really need to expand it. I, I do talk in that one about a monogatari narrative style, sort of like the tale of Genji, you know, just a, a flowing mm-hmm. and a style where uh, the narrative doesn't wrap up in some mm-hmm. nice way at the end. I think this is very Nihonteki. It's very mm-hmm. Japanese film and it really has gone under the radar it's not been commented on by many people and even the great critics like Manola Dargis in New York Times or Mm -hmm. Peter Bradshaw in The Guardian they don't quite get that film Mm -hmm. whereas they get many of the others beautifully Um, I think that like father like son has Mm -hmm. been overrated it's my least favorite of the Cordillera films Mm -hmm. I find it far too intellectual in a way. Um, Mm. It's an interesting idea. It was also made into a film the same year in Israel, where it was Mm -hmm. an Israeli boy and a Palestinian boy who were um, switched at birth. But Mm -hmm. I don't feel any um, great involvement in that film, except for Lily Frankie's performance, which I think is charming. Yeah. The other thing about that film might be that the child actors are not on the level of most of Corrieta's child actors who are absolutely superb. And that's yeah. that's because of Corrieta's very skillful work with children. He is mm-hmm. exemplary in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason, shoplifters seem to have touched a, an international uh, chord and... Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I go in depth about different Japanese aspects of all of these films, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure if you couldn't appreciate the films without knowing that or not. I think I Maburoshi is one that you need to know a lot mm-hmm. about Japan and yeah. about Miyamoto Teru, the original novelist, but mm-hmm. uh, still people can appreciate it for its visual beauty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's absolutely true, yeah. And you mentioned some of the scenes that are reminiscent of old painting technique of Japanese uh, painting. And uh, yeah, that's fantastic um, um, observation of these films. Now, um, so you mentioned this shoplifter, so I want to a little bit jump forward. Um, so I think you mentioned in the book that the shoplifter is a sort of a consummation of all the films that Koreeda has been making. It's a kind of closing chapter of all the things he's been experimenting or the, all the themes that he's been exploring. And so shoplifters definitely won the best prize and sort of like international recognition. Would you agree with that um, assessment or your understanding of shoplifters is, is slightly different from, um, for instance, some you know general understanding of Koreda films because they tend to put the like father, like son pretty much high up you know, and then shoplifters even better. Um, so that, that would be my question. Um, how would yeah. you, yeah. Yeah, you have to remember that when I finished writing the book, and as you know, one always finishes writing a book long before it actually gets published. I mean, there's, <laughs> That's the, whole, true, yeah. there's the whole proofreading. Yeah. I, I had uh, not seen La Verite, the truth, mm-hmm. is one that is in France. Yeah. I only have like two paragraphs. You one, there's a mistake in one of the paragraphs, even. Oh, I didn't know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, so I will say, I think that shoplifters is 
an end to a certain kind of uh, a certain aspect of his career. Mm -hmm. And now we're moving into another, which looks like it's taking place in other countries for a while. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think Shoplifters is a very fine film. It's Mm -hmm. a marvelous film. But Mm -hmm. is it worth all the hype? I'm not so sure about it. I see. Wow. Interesting. Ensemble performance. I love the acting. The Mm -hmm. everyone works together in that film in a beautiful way. It's a brave film because of course he uh he says it's not a political film, but I mean really, you know, Mm -hmm. it points out a lot of fissures in Japanese society. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, for me, his greatest film is Nobody Knows. Mm. I just feel that um, there's something endlessly touching about that film. And, the, mm-hmm. I, you know, I've studied how he made it. And um, I don't know, I just think it's a, a really a strong film. Another great one is Afterlife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, so maybe I'd like to ask you some more uh, focused themes in these films. And the first one I'd like to ask is this, um, um, the Korea's tendency to focus on this sort of between status of people. So children is a kind of between birth to the, you know, the uh, adulthood, for instance. Or he talks about sort of a betweenness of things in modern Japan. And I think this concept is very rich in in terms of symbolism, and we can certainly draw many implications from it. But can you elaborate a bit more on this aspect of betweenness in the works of Korea that you mentioned in this book, and why is it important for understanding his understanding his films, and why does this seem to be so valuable for Korea as a director of these uh, beautiful films? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I do put a whole section about liminality and that came exactly, yeah. rather late as I couldn't mm-hmm. quite figure out where to put a couple of the films in, in the schema that was developing of, of mm-hmm. elements. And I, I realized that my examples, many of them were about death, mm-hmm. liminal space, the, the funeral pyre by the sea in Mabaroshi, that magnificent long take. And, um, the forest setting in distance, which is another film that, although it's not perhaps perfect, is well worth seeing. Um, the airport burial scene and nobody knows. These are all liminal spaces. Mm-hmm. And the people who inhabit it are also liminal within Japanese society. They're not, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're not like established politicians or established mm-hmm. Uh, in any one profession so much. I mean, look at like um, after the storm, you know, Mm -hmm. protagonist is kind of nowhere. I mean, he was a good novelist, but then he Mm -hmm. really fell off from that. Um, Mm -hmm. I think these are the people who intrigue Cordita. I don't, you know, he's, he said like he could not write a film about um, like a typical dad kind Mm -hmm. of film. This this is what interests him, and as we look at, I don't do auto, I don't do biographical work so much. Mm-hmm. But if we look at, you know, how he grew up in kind of a, a liminal sort of family and and part of Japan and part of Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, and of course the quintessential liminal space is the way station in Afterlife, 
Mm-hmm. I, I never know why a director chooses anything, frankly, but I do know how I react as a viewer and how other reviewers have commented. And uh, I, I think you're absolutely right. This is crucial mm-hmm. to who Corriere is. And of course, the people in Shoplifters are neither here nor there. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they are working, but they're not making enough. Right. And they're living in, they're sort of camping out in this house that's mm-hmm that's neither part of the past nor part of the present because it's going to be torn down as soon as mm-hmm. grandmother dies. I mean, it's, it is a sense of uh, instability in many of his films. I don't think his films are like really sweet, by the way. I think mm-hmm. they are somewhat nostalgic, right? very compassionate, but they're a bit cynical as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I mean, after the storm, that's definitely have this ending that it's it's a kind of resolution, but also it's not resolving anything. And there is a sense that maybe all the problems that the protagonist is having is will recur again. Uh, so we don't really know where the story is going. And you know, nobody knows. Starts with the ending of the one of the deaths of the children, which is shocking, and it's based on the facts. But at the same time, it's quite uplifting, regardless of the fact that this is the most you know, um, horrendous incident that happened in history, which intrigued the director to actually make this film. So there's a kind of ambivalence, you know, the, and this liminality that you focus actually kind of add this sort of um, dynam- dynamic interrelations of these elements, I feel like. And I can't remember when I decided to put in a chapter about endings, but I really do like that chapter, I have to mm-hmm. say. And- yeah had to choose those images very carefully. The The press was generous with the number of images, but I had to cut it down from 200 to 68. So there was <laughs> yeah. a lot of horse trading of images there. For right. A while. Well, it, it does have this sort of uh, references to these bits and pieces of, the, of almost a like film memory. You know, when we talk about film, after watching the film, you know, we have this discussion. Do you remember that saying this happened? And I think that means this. Um, so it does have that. Uh, my, my dream is to have all 200 images in, in some version of this book at some time. I don't know if it will happen. But, uh, <laughs> but the endings, uh, as I sort of group them together, and in that mm-hmm. chapter I go chronologically, Right. Um, I realize, you know, how much they really are unresolved. And that mm-hmm. can be hard for a Western viewer. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, um, there's there was a film called Limbo where things ended in limbo and that sure was not that was you know an English language film that sure was not popular among viewers but in many ways Cordiella leaves us in limbo in mm-hmm. almost every yeah film. including well, I, I, the truth yeah. including the truth I mean the truth is a smaller film it's got huge actors and actresses in it but um, mm-hmm. a smaller story but it also ends up rather unresolved. I think. Mm. I mean, the. Um, I think you mentioned something about the length of his films in relation to Nobody Knows, and you discuss how some people feel that movie is too long. But you you mentioned how the characters, the, the type of life that children would have to go through, what kind of time frame they're living, and I thought that was very insightful to say to show that how Koreeda is a little bit of this sort of. Um, inner reflections of the characters dictates the whole framework 
So it's it's not really about the viewers' likes and dislikes of the movies, but rather than the character's development um, in, in his film. Yeah. Well, that film, you have to really be immersed in it. I mean, you mm-hmm. cannot watch it while you're multitasking. That would be really horrible. Thing yeah, and that's probably how to neglect the children in the movie themselves, right? That if you started to multitask and think about yourself and... Um, Oh, with this ending, um, and also you mentioned this afterlife, so I'd like to ask you this um, question about this movie called Afterlife. Um, I find this movie actually far more intellectual than other films. Um, perhaps other films is much more emotional and lyrical in some ways, but I, I felt Afterlife was quite philosophical, and I've seen some film studies specialists use this use this film as a sort of a philosophy of film. So what's the purpose of making a film? Um, but so I want to ask you a question about this film. Why would you put this as one of the best films? And um, also the ending, it's very strange ending. It's one of the protagonists actually gets resolved, but the memory that he chooses is, is the limbo. Um, you know, so the character ends with the resolution which is a film director in a way, but he's also kind of stacked in the production uh, memory. Um, so so you, can you share some of your thoughts on this movie and its ending? Well, you know, after uh, Corrieta made Mabaroshi, which I do find an exquisite movie, mm-hmm. um, he decided he didn't really like the style he had imposed on Mabaroshi. I think one impetus for that was the Taiwanese director Ho Shaoxin suggested to him that maybe it was overly controlled. I see. Um, so then when he decided to do Afterlife, mm-hmm. he, he told his cinematographers, let's choose a style that's somewhere between feature filmmaking and documentary filmmaking. Mm-hmm. I do think, yes, I think it's an intellectually fascinating film. Um, I I find it rather emotionally uh, compelling as well. And I think that what Arata, uh, the actor Mochizuki, the character, when he finally chooses a memory, and don't forget, he's been a counselor for decades, you know, mm-hmm. we find that out as the film goes on. Um, he chooses a memory of being with others, of working with others. Mm-hmm. And then he leaves, and then the week starts again. And right. so there's a there's a kind of endless loop to this film. And mm-hmm. yes, there are great essays about afterlife. This mm-hmm. one uh, allows very detailed analysis, whereas some of the others I do not. Uh, they do not. Mm-hmm. It seems like Koreda, you know, I remember the making of this film, how he just started to ask the actors about their, you know, the same question as the characters would ask them in the movie. So he started to film people responding to these questions of the question of what. If you were to take one memory to the next life, what's the memory you would take? And um, I heard that the, he actually used these demo tapes into a film. So there's a kind of ambivalent boundary between documentary and filmmaking uh, for oh, Koreda? 
Well, absolutely. I mean, particularly in this film, and you know that I think about 10 of the people who appear as the so-called newly deceased, they're like real people, like they're not actors, you know, mm-hmm. and they're right. talking about their own memories. And so mm-hmm. the memories of World War II and mm-hmm. hardships, um, and then you have these actors listening to them. So it's just, it's, uh, Tony Raines has said that Afterlife is like a Chinese puzzle box, and I think mm-hmm. that's a good description. He's a film critic from England. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool film, mm-hmm. and, and yet Corieta never stays in one style. Mm-hmm. He goes on to make other kinds of films after that, distant, mm-hmm. a highly improvised film, you know? And then nobody knows, of course, he's working with, children so he has to have pretty good idea where he's going with that but he mm-hmm. let he followed the children in some of the scenes you know sort of mm-hmm. as they went he went with them in in the film and yeah. uh, then after you know, making such a tragic film he decides he wants to make a comedy and even though it's not a great film Hana mm-hmm. Yori Monal it's it's got some very uh fine features to it yeah definitely you know yeah, it was really interesting to read that you um, actually interviewed Koreda uh, about some of the films. Uh, when was this interview took place? Oh, I'm trying to remember now. Well, the second one was 2011 because I handed him that journal. Mm-hmm. Right. So several first, times you had a... Yeah, the first one was a couple of years before that. And mm-hmm. I would love to get back now and mm-hmm. and interview him again. He's, he's a very uh, kind person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't blink. That was one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, 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 Picasso's. But yeah, he's stare. guarded. Yeah, he's guarded. I mean, I think if mm. I go back now, I'd really like to go out and drink some sake with him, and then mm-hmm. talk. Of, and I would love to see the filming, which I have mm. never been able to to do. There's a really funny scene in the book that you interviewed him about this afterlife, <laughs> and you kept. Pushing him to answer the questions of, but why <laughs> one memory? Yeah. Um, and then in, his response was, uh, Hidoi. Yeah, Hidoi. Uh, That's what he's doing. <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's one of the characters that didn't really have a choice about this one memory. Yeah. yeah that's what he says that if he were uh, one of those newly deceased, he'd probably uh, become a counselor because he couldn't choose one memory. But mm-hmm. I, yeah. I've chosen my memory, so I know mm-hmm. it. Um, people ask me that and you know mm-hmm. and why only one I, I have been pondering that one thing I will say about Corrieta is that I feel he is very very clear in what he's doing and what he wants mm-hmm. I did have a, a dialogue with him about the English title nobody knows I didn't think it was strong enough and you know he just that's what he wanted you know i mean mm. it's a direct translation whereas some of the titles in english are are different as you right know. yeah um what is that umi yorimo madafukaku for after mm-hmm. very different you know yeah very different yeah it's you know, um he knows what he wants he knows what he wants and that's i mean he's he's really kind of taught himself how to make films in many ways he learned mm. as a documentary filmmaker for television Mm -hmm. and i'm very sad that his documentaries are not available and apparently there are some rights issues i don't know the details Mm -hmm. but 
I love his film, Life with a Calf, the very first one he did. Yeah, I've never seen it, but it's, it sounds really fantastic and laid the foundation for his capacity to work well with the children and ask this question of life, almost. Yeah. Um, I've seen his um, Men Without Memory, the documentary, about the main, character, uh, main person, Hiroshi, is incapable of constructing the memory uh, thanks to the medical malpractice. Um, but it definitely sort of gives Korea the impetus to work on this notion of memory um, in afterlife. And one of the things that really strikes me is really interesting about these two films is that he seemed to be questioning what counts as memory and how is that is sort of constitutive or maybe unrelated to uh, filmmaking. You know, one of the characters in Afterlife, he couldn't choose, so they requested like a VCR of the entire life. I mean, that's the funniest part that he's actually watching himself his whole life and he has to choose. Um, but do you think, I guess, um, for Koreda, memory has to have some sort of like, emotional engagement? Um, you know, the man without memory, uh, it turned out that he could remember things that has much more emotional content. Um, so maybe he's working with this notion of how the emotion should play out as the uh, strong elements of films, perhaps. Uh, I think so. I know that in terms of, uh, of the truth, I mean, he doesn't speak French. And mm. um, the, the actresses, Catherine Deneuve, Juliette Binoche, they do speak English. But he, I, I'll tell you, I don't think he speaks English because right. we, we certainly did not correspond in any way in English, but they, they did find meeting points when they talked, when they were able to talk through a translator about French cinema. Mm -hmm. So cinema became their memory, became their point of communication. I see. I think, yes, I think films are, are repositories of, of memories and emotions for him. Mm -hmm. So even though I do say there is a cynicism, it's, it's never like totally dark at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The yeah, there's so many things that I would like to ask you about this sort of Korea's um, method of making. Because it seems like some of the movies uh, in interview, some of the interviews he talked about how he chose the scenes. You know, like you you chose 200 um, image grabs right for this book. So I mean, as a director, he probably shot way longer than actual movie. Uh, itself, and he mentioned something like some of the scenes are constructed on the site. Um, so he's shooting children having interactions and kind of give them a general directions, but nobody really knows the entire architect of the movie. And he sees their interactions, and sometimes he even changed the plot to fit with their interaction. Is that a normal thing in filmmaking, or is um, peculiar to his style? I don't think it's peculiar to his style at all. Yeah. Although there are the, there's the other extreme, which is the Hitchcock or the Kurosawa, right? right. You no, know, have storyboarded the film, and that's the film. And mm -hmm. um, but he's Cordelia's open, very open. I think the weakness, perhaps, of a film like The Third Murder is, as I understand it, he was like rewriting it all the time, even as they're filming it. Mm -hmm. um, so there was 
there was there's a certain un, there's an uncertainty in it which I find really exciting. But mm-hmm. some people who like the crime genre more than I do say it it doesn't really hold up. Mm-hmm. But that, I do I do think he's open to to changes. I I know that he edits as he goes along. Mm-hmm. Which is not what every director doesn't, and every director doesn't edit either, you know, necessarily. Right. But he does apparently rewrite quite a bit. Now, I did my dissertation on Mizoguchi, mm-hmm. and I, I had the honor of of interviewing Yoda Yoshikata, who was one of his main screenwriters. And I know that Mizoguchi drove the actors crazy. I mean, they would arrive on the set in the morning and they would have new lines to learn. And, and poor Yoda sensei was just long suffering because he could mm-hmm. be writing lines at, at three in the morning, you know, <laughs> that's kind of a fanatical. Uh, right. I think Corietta takes a lot more of it onto himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he writes his, his own yeah. films, right? Yeah. He's the screenwriter and he's the editor. So he does a lot of it himself. He doesn't mm-hmm. do the music and the music mm-hmm. is, my, in my view, is kind of minor in his films. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they don't play the front row of uh, yeah. the films, yeah. Um, so I would like to ask so many symbolisms. I haven't even started asking these questions, but one of the things that really stood out from your book is this uh, emptiness or the vessels in the films. Um, you know, for instance, you mentioned this use of the bucket uh, in Nobody Knows and how the uh, third murder, uh, which is the modern Rashomon, I, I totally agree with that assessment of that movie. And it presents this sort of the main character as the vessel, right? Uh, and it kind of reveals this deadness of the justice system, um, you know, that, that nobody really seemed to have any idea of whether or not this guy is actually kill somebody uh, uh, or he's, you know, is he a hero? Is he a criminal? Or is he a... Um, you know, so the, you, you kind of put in this really strange position and then you have this most beautiful, um, you know, air doll, beautiful story about this empty um, doll, which reveals the emptiness of society. What does Koreda try to achieve uh, through reflecting on these different manifestations of like emptiness or voice, uh, you call it, or sometimes you mention it as the air? Um, what is he trying to do with this image? Well, I think it ties into the liminality theme in that the emptiness is not empty. It's actually very, very full. It's very Mm. rich. And I'm not saying here that he's going to Zen Buddhist views or anything like that. It's just Mm -hmm. uh, Misumi in The Third Murder is described by that that, uh, retired police officer as an empty vessel. Right. But he isn't. Mm-hmm. There's there's something very rich about this man's personality and mm-hmm. and what he may have done out of a service to others. But again, that's never really solved. Right. Um, but especially in Airdal, yes, she's she's empty. She's just plastic and air. But of course, she becomes something much more than that. So the mm-hmm. potential to be to be full is is great. And I think in shoplifters as well, these people are poor, but mm. they're rich. Right. And those scenes of of sitting around, uh, you know, the co- 
kotatsu and eating together are mm -hmm. just heartwarming. And these are mm -hmm. people who really don't have much and they've stolen probably most of the stuff that they're mm -hmm. eating. But, um, but there's still a, a warmth and a richness to them that is totally lacking mm -hmm. in the people who are more full like Aki's parents when mm -hmm. the grandmother goes to visit them, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so I think he's saying, let's not be tricked by surface appearances. Mm -hmm. Let's look deeper. And that's, yeah. that's how he uses emptiness, I think. There's, you know, you said there's no social critique um, that is intended by the director, but there's an element of a strong critique or at least, you know, um, Motive, sort of the encouragement towards self-reflection. Uh, for instance, the third martyr, when you're watching this character being detained, but it, at one point it looks like he's the one judging us uh, to the, the justice system rather than justice system is judging him. Um, you know, then air doll is presented as a doll uh, or the tool for the you know sexual relationship, uh, for instance, but then kind of role reverses in how the human society is actually empty. Right, exactly. He's <laughs> so the only just, one who's like... Yeah. So he seemed to have this sort of, a, you know, use this sort of space as this uh, moment in which we can reflect in all, on, on ourselves or, or the way we organize our lives. And even if we look at the shoplifters, um, you know, it makes us question of what constitute family. For instance, you know, we tend to hold on to this idea that we are just born into the house, you grow up, that's the family, but it, it really challenges this, um, you know, conventional understanding of what counts as a family. Right. I mean, look at uh, the little girl's abusive mother. You know, that's her birth mother. So, you know, the, I'm afraid sometimes mothers take a pretty hard uh a hard role in Corrieta's films, you know, the mm -hmm. absent mother or the, uh, the the grandmother who will never forgive and so on. But right. uh, I, I think that uh, with shoplifters, of course, Corrieta was in a very difficult position afterwards. I mean, he was accused of being anti-Japanese. He was accused of misusing mm -hmm. a grant that he had gotten from the government. And he defended himself beautifully. Mm -hmm. And perhaps I'm influenced by some of his statements at that time when I say that he doesn't set out to critique the society. It's just, mm -hmm. he sets out to tell a story. And, mm -hmm. you know, uh, he's a great storyteller, I think. Mm -hmm. So the, the critique was that the, he presented this not beautiful picture right. of Japan that was the problem? Right, that was, yeah. and you know, and then it won, and then it embarrassed the government by winning the top prize at Cannes. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he was invited to go to one of the ministries to receive congratulations, mm -hmm. and he refused. Right, he didn't show up to the ceremony, he, basically. He didn't show up. I mean, yeah. because he said, I don't want my films to be connected with politics. In that way, he pointed to World War II, where, you know, mm -hmm the censorship, the Japanese censors, um, films had to have a certain propagandistic bent. So he mm -hmm. just doesn't want that. And he, he has a blog where he writes very beautifully, I think. Mm -hmm. But it, he also writes that he says, I, I have made a film about people who are so-called invisible, and mm -hmm. we need to see them, you know? Right. So yes, it is a critique, of course. But mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's anti-Japan at all. I think this is a great service of the cinema to point out these mm -hmm. 
characters in society. They're not always fun to look at, but mm -hmm. uh, we need to see them. They yeah, can't. There, there, there are, you know, several amazing implications from that film. But also, I, I'd like to ask you this: uh, Koreda's um, philosophy of writing stories and making films about these smaller narratives rather than this larger political narrative. So he says something like, in ancient times, you know, people make these narratives so epic, but it was so politically motivated that sacrifices the, you know, in the invisible people, basically, right? That you have this larger narrative that sacrifices these minorities. So it's it's a form of resistance, he said, that, that to write these um, um, films. That's right. right. That he's, yeah. Yeah, he said, you, yeah, yeah, his shoplifters is a Chiesana Monogatari. Mm -hmm. And he, a small story. And he actually did not think it should go to Cannes. <laughs> he thought it was too mm. small of a story. Um, the Cannes Film Festival tends to look at larger stories for some reason. Mm. Uh, I'm glad that he was persuaded to finally send it. But, send it. Yeah. Uh, not to mention he won. So she should have sent it. Um, so this actually, you know, comes back to this sort of a irresistible comparison between Koreeda and Ozu films. Uh, I recently interviewed this uh, author who wrote a book on Ozu, and you know, the typical criticism of Ozu um, cuts in both ways. Like he writes these shoshimin, small, you know, Japanese life stories, and you know, people ask why, why are you keep making these same film and his response was that that i can only make tofu um you know it's th this is my craft that's it um do you think the koreeda is doing the same thing uh or he's quite distinct from um ozu i mean i remember him saying that that i didn't i, I my influence is not from ozu um somebody else but it just seems uh, there's a strong parallel that many people tend to focus would you agree with that well, I think it would be good to resist the comparison to Ozu, actually. Okay. Uh, I, I think Ozu is great. Ozu was one of a kind. And mm -hmm. I do mention Ozu in terms of some of his lesser-known films, like Record of a Tenement Gentleman. That, um, mm. That's also about a, a, a homeless child. Right. And uh, maybe Hen in the Wind, which is a pretty harsh film uh, mm. where Tanaka Kinio gets tossed down the stairs by her angry husband and you know so that's an ozu people don't know as well i don't think i think the only film that's a little bit like ozu might be still walking because mm -hmm. it is about a more of a slightly more upper class family you know the right. late in other words i think that uh Corrieta is very much like ken loach the british filmmaker ken loach mm -hmm. and i do mention kess the film kess about the boy who trains the hawk mm -hmm. I, I mentioned that film in my chapter on nobody knows right. and, um, another film i don't mention it i think in the book but i daniel blake and now he's just come out with a film about people who deliver like for amazon and all it's like okay oh, sorry i missed you i think yeah I think he's a lot like Ken Loach in that he tells stories about people who are a bit hard on their luck, but mm -hmm. have real human va uh, virtues mm -hmm. more than Ozu. Oz Ozu is just Ozu, you know? Now, yeah. I, think, 
I do that's, think in some ways that cordita is a tofu maker as well in that sense. Mm-hmm. But you had asked me what kind of food. Uh, what yeah, I-, I wanted to ask uh, you like, what kind of, if you were to, um, you know, use the same pearl, um, what would be the dish <laughs> that you would describe uh, cordita films? Well, I thought about that. And of course, the first thing that came to my mind was the corn tempera and, and still walking that his mother had made. But I thought, mm, that's not I right. See. That's not yeah. quite right. Okay. I think it's a nabe mono. Mm. Films are nabe mono. They're mm. a mixture. Um, they're not pretentious, but there's mm-hmm. something that people can gather around and feel warmth from. Mm-hmm. I see. So there's a kind of a gathering of different ingredients and sort of see what happens, a little bit of a, a mixture of different elements. Mm-hmm. But not um, fancy ingredients. This right. Is shabu shabu. This is mm-hmm. you know, simple. This is the nave, the, the shoshimi nave. That's right. Yes. Um, perhaps like that would take me to this sort of notion of um, ma or interval that um, you know, Ozu is known for this sort of using the space as much as kind of rigid framework. Um, but Korea definitely f- seemed to have this focus on this um, notion of um, interrelations or intervals between individuals or, um, you know, or things even in Japanese society. So, you know, when I, when I teach Japanese philosophy, we talk about how this notion of nakama or aidagara the betweenness that defines our identity comes from, you know, East Asian Buddhist uh, intellectual traditions. So in a way, the identities of, of individuals are defined by their interaction with each other rather than who they are. Um, but then on the other hand, it seems like some of the movies like like Father and Like Son or even Airdol has this sort of crave for this objective self-identity that is not dependent upon interactions, um, you know, then you you have this sort of two sides. Um, I, we've been talking about how things are not as straightforward in Korea that one side is seemed to be doing one thing, but it means something else. So there's a conflict between this sort of selfless care of the other for the other among the individuals that constitute their self-identity, but they also have this sort of self-centered nature. So nobody is the perfect and nobody is absolutely evil uh, in Korea's films. Can you, um, do you think this is sort of one of the primary concerns that Korea has in his films? Yes, I don't think anyone is purely evil. I, I do think yeah. that the um, abusive mother of Yuri comes about as close to purely evil. We don't see but we haven't really filled in her backstory there. Um, so that, right. but even the the mother in Nobody Knows, played by you, mm-hmm. um, Cordieta has said in interviews that he thought that she was not evil to leave, right. her, that she yeah. must have had some love for them, um, you know. And mm-hmm. so, yes, I, I do think there's no purely good or purely evil. And I think uh, what's compelling for me about the third murder is because mm-hmm. it's Yakusho Koji, it's such a superb actor playing right. Sumi, that we see him wanting to connect with others, but having been hurt so often throughout his life mm-hmm. in that. Um, and I think that makes us feel that he's not, not an evil person. 
Uh, right. I do think, is, I think yeah. everyone, I don't, I mean, I really have to put like father, like son aside. Cause I, I just can't, can't warm up to that film very much, but mm-hmm. um, certainly Airdal, I think it's so important to her relationships. She wants to relate to everybody. You know, he said to her, don't play the, the, uh, uh, the air doll like a, a puppet play her like a baby who's mm-hmm. just being born to the world you know right. and she's out and she wants to talk to these young mothers with their babies and of course they're scared of her you know mm-hmm. yeah she wants to be connected to everything and of course at the end in a way she is with although you know sort of a spoiler here but mm-hmm. I mean, not she herself but with the dandelion fluffs that go and touch all the people who have been around mm-hmm. her so right and that 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 is based on a, a manga so mm-hmm. it's not purely his own idea mm-hmm. but a lot of that film was uh, his own idea i i think the that the ma and this was an idea i got from a spanish film scholar luis miranda okay. and he and i both wrote for the las palmas film festival catalog mm-hmm. was a early retrospective of Corrieta's films. And he talked about three aspects of Corrieta's films. He said observation, mm-hmm. interval, or ma, and brushstroke. And brushstroke for him was the gestures, because there's so many telling gestures in Corrieta's films. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, you know, the ma is, I think, what we've spoken about, the, the, both the liminality, the emptiness that's full, mm-hmm. and, as you just said very well, the aidagara, the connection between people and people and objects and don't forget like the bicycle bell in um, Mm -hmm. Mabaroshi you know that objects stand in for people Mm -hmm. yeah there's no division between humans over here and things over there but there's sort of mixture uh, or interactions between them that almost like talking to each other Um, um, one of the things that this small focus on let's say civil life that you know working class life the Koreda is paying attention to, or sometimes even the lower uh, class in the shoplifters. But he seemed to have very strong focus on suffering. Um, and I remember one of these interviews, he said that I don't want to treat one person's suffering differently than another. The tendency to... Do you think that is one of the reasons why we don't really have quite absolute evil character or absolutely good characters in Koreda films, but somehow these sharing of suffering binds them and almost make them even compassionate human being. Um, you know, for instance, the relationship between two mothers and like father and like son. Right. That's the, a good one. Yes. You know, the little uh, girl from the shoplifters and mother. Right, you know, take a bath together and sort of like looking at each other, the scars. Right. Uh, or, well, it's you know, not yeah, her right. mother. It's it's the it's the mother role in the in the makeshift family. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but she plays like a mother. I mean, that's the uh, that's the very poignant aspect of shoplifters. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely um, empathy. Empathy yeah. is important to him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's kind of sort of. Um, you know, the, when you watch the movie with the subtitles, sometimes they give you away the lines. Um, the shoplifters, for instance, have these scenes where, I think you mentioned the scenes where the characters actually say thank you to each other or call each other names, but we don't hear it. 
but subtitles actually gives away. She said, thank you. Um, but there's a kind of unspoken foundations or invisible connections among these characters in Koreda's films. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I helped a little bit with the subtitles of Mabaroshi's, uh, the remastered Mabaroshi, and it's mm-hmm. it's tough. It's tough right. to do. And shoplifters, of course, what we miss are when they're calling each other those relational words, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, Onisan, you know, or right. and so on. Um, and the original title, as I understand it, of shoplifters was something like "Say It Aloud." Mm-hmm. Or something like that, mm-hmm. because that's really what the two, what the the father and mother role figures want. They want to be called father and mother, but the children really are not able to do that. Um, mm. So uh, you know, subtitles are are good, but but they leave out a great deal. And mm. um, just just to say a, a just sort of a funny story about that. I'm maybe going off on a tangent, but no, please. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, there was one line in Mabaroshi I just couldn't figure out what to do, and that was mm-hmm. when Yumiko arrives in uh, Sosogi, and it's you know it's kind of an out of the way place, mm-hmm. and her her new husband says to her, "Nani mo naito koro desu," you know, and and I thought, mm-hmm. well, you can't just say there's nothing here because of course there's a lot there. There's an ocean and there's a town mm-hmm. and all that, and I just couldn't come up with anything and. The woman who was the main subtitler came up with, um, it's a real backwater, isn't it? And I thought, mm. that's great. That's mm-hmm. really good, you know? Yeah. And that's how hard it is to subtitle because you yeah. almost have to get to the gist by ignoring the real Japanese words. You know? <laughs> right. The, it's, the literal meanings just don't convey any of that. what he's actually saying. Yeah, that is, that is one of the difficulties of translating. Um, the one of the distinct features of this book I, I felt from reading, it's not a typical, um, I should say, film studies, you know, book where they just focus on one theme. Either chronologically, you go through the whole films and just tell you, you know, central theme that they're working on, but it's kind of lyrical engagement, right? That the you, you engage with the Koreeda films. Um, can you tell tell us more about this sort of special characteristics of your your book? Well, it it just happened that way as I kept writing, and I've I've written some things that were a little bit like it in the past, but this is much more extremely mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. I do write poetry. I've, I'm a published poet, and um, it's just the way I view life now, and also. I thought it was a good way to write about Koreeda. I -hmm. hope someday he can read it in Japanese because Mm -hmm. I'd like to get his impression. Um, It it rings true for me. Now, unfortunately, it doesn't ring true for every reader, I don't think, or every critic or every press. Right. But, you know, it rings true for me. And um, in terms of the Spanish cinema, I wrote about Victor Erice, who did A Spirit of the Beehive and Dream of Light. Again, a very poetic filmmaker, mm-hmm. not as prolific as Correa. So I guess I'm drawn to this kind of filmmaking. And I want the writing to reflect the tone of the films. Right. And when I did the commentary for Mabaroshi, that was very important for me. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I even put in periods of silence in the 
commentary, the full-length commentary, and decided later to go back and re-record those like 10 minutes or so because Mm -hmm. um, the audio technician said he didn't think that so much silence was good. But to me, that was, you know, part of the the beauty of the film. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just... That's how I want to do it. Now, that mm-hmm. commentary was criticized by one critic, saying it was lacking in context. And I think that that is, frankly, mm-hmm. pretty dumb, a pretty dumb yeah. thing. Because yeah. what it was is that I follow the film in its tone, and I introduce mm-hmm. context, but I don't say right from the start, this is mm-hmm. what the film is about. Yeah, This is how the film is constructed. And yeah. so, in a way, I'm being though I'm not Japanese by birth, I'm being a little bit Japanese style there, I think, because I'm being suggestive rather than didactic. Right. So the book doesn't really say this is the central theme of this book and then lay out the theoretical foundations and references to these other theories about the film, but it just tells you, it's almost like a Koreda style of the emotional memory, that in a way, if you watch these films, this is how you actually experience so it's quite a bit of a, um, a poetic work. And I realized quickly, I, I re- quickly realized that I shouldn't read it as, you know, biographical work or, um, you know, the um, typical theoretical work that actually just lays out the method or the content, but it's much more emotionally engaging in a way. Oh, well, thank you. That's really good to hear. And, and yet I draw in a great deal of scholarship. I mean, there's like 25 right. pages of bibliography, and it's not it, padded, you know? Right. It's pretty huge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually glad that it was a bibliography because the, the length of the book is quite, uh, it's quite hefty. Um, if you re- read, go into the details that it's grounded in this um, scholarship, then I haven't seen um, you know, a book that refers to more than one or two uh, sources, the language, the tar- uh, source languages. So it was quite a bit of um, a surprise to me that the level of engagement in the scholarship, but also this creativity that you put into this book. Well, you know, you, you do these things, and then when you go back to them, like some months later, you think, wow, how did I mm-hmm. do this? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> Elements. Probably that's how Koreda is feeling about some of these films as well. I right? think so. Too. <laughs> yeah. um, well, thank you so much, Linda. Uh, since we're approaching the end of the interview, I'd like to ask you about your plans for the future. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you working on right now, and what's your uh, future research or writing agendas? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, also I want to thank you. This has really been a delight for me. I've, uh, in terms of uh, future plans, I have co-edited a book with Rebecca mm-hmm. Copeland of Washington University, and mm-hmm. it's called uh, Yamamba, Yamamba, In Search of the Japanese Mountain Witch. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly didn't want to use the word witch, but, you know, the press wants it because it's kind of sexy. Right. And, and yeah. that'll come out through Stonebridge Press, and that has many different kinds of poetry and essays and it's just a really great group of Mm -hmm. uh, writing by lots of people Mm -hmm. Uh, i myself am exploring the the films of yakusho koji and very Mm -hmm. much want to interview him if i can i've certainly got the third murder and and shall we dance and others sure i'm i'm also going back to my training at the university of hawaii for my phd which was in asian theater and okay. I'm looking at um, shadow puppetry in many different mm. forms. 
Sometimes I need to take a little break from the cinema, but of course, even, you know, shadow and light is an essential part of the cinema as well. Mm -hmm. I see. Well, uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to the uh, fruits of these publications, and hopefully we will have a chance to talk with you again for these books. Uh, I'm pretty sure they are pretty huge projects that will come out as a a great box. Um, So thank you so much for talking to us about your book and your uh, great insight into the works of Koreda today, Linda. Kochirakoso. Uh, it was really, really a lot of fun. And thank you, everyone. This was our discussion with Linda Ehrlich, uh, who is the author of the films of Koreda Hirokazu, an elemental cinema. See you next time.